0: Many of us have heard that people get taller with every generation, and there is merit to this statement, with average height increasing by about 10 centimeters in the last 150 years. But when thinking about people thousands of years back, it becomes clear that if people are indeed always getting that much taller, then ancient humans' height would be in the negative numbers. So clearly, human height is not linear or simple in any way. It is actually the result of a very complicated relationship between our DNA and the world we live in. To the everyday person, this relationship remains a mystery, but geneticists and anthropologists are hard at work revealing its secrets. Dr. Samantha Cox is a biological anthropologist working as a postdoctoral researcher in the genetics department at the University of Pennsylvania. Her research focuses on understanding the relationship between genetics, genotype, and physical traits, phenotype particularly in humans of the past. She also researches how the environment and genetics interact. Dr. Cox has worked on a research team that published evidence of a genetic contribution to height and another that tested methods of predicting the height of ancient humans with ancient DNA. Today we sit down to discuss ancient human body proportions and the future of genetic prediction. Okay. Hi, thank you so much for coming to talk with me.
1: Hi, yeah, I'm happy to.
0: Yeah, um, so I guess just diving straight into the obvious question, um, in general, were ancient people much taller or shorter than they were today?
1: You know, it's kind of an interesting question. I think people, um, we kind of have this impression that people were shorter in the past, um, and it's not strictly true. So depending on how far back in time you go, uh, people actually are very tall. So if you go back to the Upper Paleolithic in Europe, people at that point, so this is say about 40,000 years ago, people at that point are actually on average as tall as they are today. And then as you move through time, heights do tend to decrease and people get shorter as an average. Um, And we think, you know, that has to do with a combination of kind of environmental changes and genetic changes and all these kinds of things. Um, But, and then, you know, it kind of in more recent time people then start to get taller again, but so the average changes, but the heights to which people are like capable of growing have really always been the same. So there are always people who are very tall and people who are very short, but what changes is kind of how many people are very tall versus how many people are very short.
0: Yeah, so leading leads straight into my second question as like, how varied were the statures amongst ancient people compared to today?
1: So as I, yeah, I guess I kind of started talking about this question a second ago, but they, the variation changes a bit. So what you have now today is kind of on, on the average, people tend to be taller than they used to be in the past as populations. Um, And this is especially true in developed countries um, where so we see this thing where basically people um, as countries become are, you know, when they're more stable, if you have access to good food and good health care and all of these kinds of things, people start to get taller. So like children tend to be taller than their parents. And we see this around the world. we in kind of developed nations at this point have kind of reached a plateau where people are, seem to be as tall as they're going to get. Um, but in other countries, as we see them kind of developing and, um, you know, we are seeing this same trend in, in there. So we know that, you know, people, there is kind of a limit to how tall people are um, and the proportions, like kind of the number of people who are that tall changes through time. Um, so is said, like, you know, the variation is kind of the same, you know, we have people who are taller than six feet and we have people who are, you know, shorter than four feet, but the, just the numbers of them change. So right now in kind of you know, in like more in Western societies, people tend to be on the taller end. Um, but you know, some of this is genetic, how tall you can be and, and these kinds of factors all play into it. So the variation itself has not actually really changed. It's more just the, the numbers of people at kind of different heights changes, that makes sense.
0: Yes, it does. Um, so getting more into the technical, in one of your studies of ancient human heights, your team used the length of the femur to approximate the height of incomplete skeletons. I was wondering why was the femur chosen and how reliable are those height approximations using the femur?
1: Yeah, so, um, A lot of anthropologists have kind of looked at this question for a very long time. So starting even in the 19th century, um, kind of the early anthropologists were interested in this idea of being able to reconstruct height based on the skeleton. And basically what people have found is that, you know, if you think about if you think about the bones in your body and kind of which like how each of your bones contributes to your height. So if you think about like, you know, your arms really don't have anything to do with how tall you are, but your legs obviously are a large component of that. Um, And obviously then, you know, your spine and your skull and the pelvis to some extent. So like those are kind of the major components that are going to make up a person's overall height. And what people have found through these studies that they've done, um, partly on cadavers, also on using like living people um, versus skeletal people, is that the relationship between height and kind of the dimensions of each of these bones is quite linear and quite predictable. So, you know, we know within a certain margin of error, you know, how much of your height is made up by your vertebra or your skull. And so what we've found is that, um, you know, as I said, the legs contribute a lot, obviously that's like at least half of your height and of those of your leg bones, you know, the femur is the biggest one and that contributes a lot to your height and there are predictable proportions within humans. So, you know, if you look at a person, their legs are always a certain amount of their body and their torso is a certain amount. So we basically have made equations so that we can predict this. So if we know how long the femur is, we know proportionally how it relates to the rest of the body. And we can use kind of linear regression equations to then predict how tall that person would be. Um, It's not perfect. You know, there is some error associated with it, partly because of course there are some soft tissues involved which we don't have on the skeleton. So there's cartilage in your joints. Um, you know, you have intervertebral discs between each of your vertebra. These kinds of things. So we add corrections for kind of the averages of those things to be added to the height. But you know, these vary with different people. Um, height also changes as you age. You know, so as people get older, and if you, especially you know people with conditions like osteoporosis or just kind of old age in general, we know that people tend to get shorter. Um, So when we are estimating skeletal heights from the skeleton, what we're actually doing is we're estimating the person's kind of maximum height, you know, when they are young, it's much more difficult to try and estimate the height of like a 50 year old, or a 60 year old or 70 year old, because there's a lot of these other factors that, you know, contribute to their, you know, their health and their life and how that then. What we can predict. But the average for a femur is about, you know, the height is usually within about two and a half centimeters of like their true height. So it's pretty close. Um, But it's not perfect. And people in different parts of the world also have different body proportions. So some people have longer legs compared to their torsos, some people have shorter legs compared to their torsos. And then that can also change things. Um, So, kind of all these things need to be taken into account when we do this.
0: Sorry. Um, okay. um, so going into like archaeological work, um, which kind mm-hmm. of mentioned with the cadavers, um, how often are skeletons actually complete enough for you to just like take a tape measure and pretty much measure the height without any
1: additional reconstruction or calculations? You know, it's one of these questions like it completely and totally depends on the archaeological site and the bone preservation. So if you have sites where the bone preservation is really good, then, you know, doing this is really easy. Um, We tend to, you know, a lot of places say, you know, like Egypt is famous for the mummies and things because they have really good preservation because it's very dry and it's very hot. And the soil is very soft because it's sand. So bone tends to preserve really, really well, whereas in more tropical regions. Um, we have very little skeletal material. So in rainforests and things like that, because it's very, very humid and damp and hot, there's lots of bacteria and, you know, animals and microbes and things that will break down the bone. So then we don't have a lot of skeletons from those parts of the world um, just because of these kinds of natural processes. So it entirely depends, but even within that, you know, within one country, preservation on an archeological site, you know, it can differ from one site to another. It can differ from one side of a site to another side of a site Um, or how deep you are. You know, I dig right now in North Africa and the site that we work on, um, the skeletons that are very close to the surface are in terrible condition. But as we go deeper, they're better preserved. So, you know, we can't really do things like stature estimations on maybe half of our, the sample from the skeletal site. Um, Because those individuals are not preserved well enough to measure anything. Um, But the earlier ones, because they're deeper, so they're buried earlier, are in better condition. Um, So it's really hard to give kind of an estimate of how many skeletons are are good enough. But, you know, we do it what we can. Sometimes if the bones are just broken, which can happen, you know, that they're just in a couple pieces, we can glue them together and do things like that to reconstruct the height, Um, there are also equations to estimate statures based on other bones. So you can do it with the tibia. Uh, You can do it with the humerus. As I said, if you think about it, you know, your arm doesn't really contribute anything to your height, but there is a predictable proportion between, you know, the length of your arm and the length of your leg. So if you predict stature based on a humerus, so like your upper arm bone, that's going to be have a lot more error associated with it because it's, as I said, it's not actually part of your height but it does give us at least an idea. So if you have skeletons where the legs are in bad shape but you happen to have an arm, you know, we can do it from the arm, it's just not as accurate. So the femur is preferred, but if you can't get it, there are other options, Um, but you know, with all things in kind of archeology span and anthropology, we just, we do the best with what we have
0: and you don't always know
1: what you're gonna get, Um, so. The way it goes.
0: Yeah. So I'm totally switching gears into more like sure. um like the different conditions that affect height. I'm just wondering what environmental conditions affect height and like what you guys call environmental. Pretty sure it doesn't just mean the weather in
1: this context. Yeah. So environmental basically usually refers to in when we talk when we talk about these kinds of things really refers to If you're looking at it from a genetic perspective, it's basically anything that's not genetic um, is environmental because they're all kind of, I mean, they're all things that can change and are different between, you know, person to person. When you talk about it from an anthropological standpoint, we often mean environmental a little bit more as like climate and weather um, and those kinds of things, though it can also include things like diet and health. Um, But often in anthropology, we make a little bit more of a distinction between diet and nutrition versus, you know, environment and climate. Um, But sometimes you do see those things lumped together. But so I guess in the broadest sense, environmental variables are ones that are not genetic. And then, you know, you can make it more specific from there. But in terms of what we, No affects height. It's actually a little bit interesting. We have a lot of ideas about things that we think affect height, um, but we don't actually know a lot of it for certain. So, you know, we we know that like diet, for instance, probably has something to do with it. That if you don't have a very good diet, if you don't get enough nutrition, um, that this can cause stunting but it's a complicated process. And, you know, if you have, um, if as a child you have a period of kind of malnutrition for whatever reason, you can also catch up in your growth. So you will have a period where you don't grow as much as you should. But if your diet then changes and becomes better, you can actually make up for that difference. And by the time you, um, time you're basically done growing you are as tall as like everybody else is even though you had this when you were a kid um but we don't you know so we do know things like the amount of protein you eat probably has something to do with it but again it's different for different individuals and we it's hard for us to really say the specifics of it so we know generally that like a good diet helps um having good health also is another one. If you are very sick, whatever kind of illness it is, if it's, if it's very severe or very prolonged, you know, your body then has to put the resources that it would have been using for growth into fighting this disease. So, you know, even if it's, it can be short, if you have, you know, very severe flu or, you know, in this day and age, if you have very bad COVID or something as a child, you'll probably actually stop growing because your body is putting all of those resources into fighting the infection. Um, you know, but if you have something else like a cancer or some kind of genetic con- like disease condition or you know, a severe anemia or any of these kinds of things, the same thing happens, but over a much longer period. And then we know that you know, that will also cause you to be shorter but um, as I said, like the specifics of exactly, you know, I can't tell you how much of any of these things is important. They kind of all play a role together, and um, that's you know kind of part of what we're trying to study is how much of this actually, like how much of it contributes when and where and how, um, because those are all still open questions. Even if we have a general idea of how this works, the specifics are are not so easy. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And do we know a lot about how these environmental factors have changed with time? And like, how do we know that?
1: So we know um, a fair amount about some of them changing through time. So, you know, people are really interested in what's called the Neolithic transition, um, which is basically, you know, it's traditionally been studied a lot in in Europe and like the European context, and it's the adoption of agriculture. But of course, this happens in all parts of the world, but at different time periods. So more recently, you know, researchers have started looking more carefully at this transition in other parts of the world as well. But it's a big shift between basically hunting and gathering um, as the main kind of lifestyle to suddenly being reliant on agriculture. And being more sedentary, then people, you know, build cities and towns and they stay in one place. They're not moving around so much. But the components of the diet change a lot, too, because when you're hunting and gathering, you're basically eating a lot of, you know, wild kind of leafy green things and lots of berries, lots of nuts, um, mushrooms probably as well. And then hunting, you know, but at least depending on where you are in the world and kind of what time period you're looking at, there's debate about how much um, meat kind of makes up in the diet. So, you know, when Europe is covered in glaciers, people are eating a lot of meat because there's not a lot of, there aren't a lot of plants around because it's so cold. But as that starts changing, people start eating more vegetables. And obviously in more tropical parts of the world, people have Vegetables available to them all the time, and they're easier to get than meat, so people probably eat a lot of them. Um, so we can see those kinds of things changing. And then when when agriculture is adopted, then people start having a lot of carbohydrates from grains, which is not something that people really eat in pre-agricultural societies. Um, and you know when you get the domestication of like wheat and barley and millet and corn in the Americas um, is when you see a big change in these kinds of carbohydrate levels. So people have always been very interested on the impact um, on health of like these kinds of changes. And then also if you're raising domestic animals, you have easier access to meats and how does this change things? We also think that people, society becomes more stratified once, um, agriculture is introduced. So you have the kind of beginnings of socioeconomic classes, um, which you get a little bit in hunting and gathering societies, but they're not quite as extreme and they're not as obvious. So, you know, how does being in a different social class then affect what you have access to? Um, so these are all different nuances, and I said it's different in different cultures around the world. But these are all components of this that people study. So we can see when these changes happen, um, and we know that they have happened. And disease burdens change over time. If you know people are quite familiar with things like the plague, which you know happens for a few years but kills like half the population of Europe. Um, but then we also have you know changes, there's other plagues around the world, of course, that can influence these things, cholera epidemics and yellow fever and all of these kinds of things. So it's like, we do know these time points. We do know when the environment changes. If you're talking about climate, you know, lots of geologists study climate change throughout the last few million years. So we know when these things change and we can look at them. Um, but as I said, pinning down all these things and it's you know different in every part of the world is part of the challenge. But, you know, that's what that's what we're working on. Mm
0: -hmm. And I kind of moving to the other half of the equation, um, I know it's probably Mm -hmm. hard to quantify, but how much do genetics actually contribute to skeletal height? Like, not just in terms of your potential, but.
1: Yeah. So, again, it's complicated, Um, but we know. So height is one of the most. So I guess if you backtrack a little bit, height is what's called a polygenic trait. So it means that instead of having just like one gene that dictates how tall you are, you have many, many genes. And in the case of height, it's thousands of genes, um, which all contribute and influence your height. So we can't in this case say that like, you know, this is the tall gene and you have it. Um, It doesn't quite work like that. So we know from you know, many years of of people studying height as like a trait, that height is is very highly heritable, okay? So a lot of the variation that we see in height can be attributed to genetics. Um, And the estimates are basic, are about, up to about 80%. So about like 80% of height variation can theoretically be um, attributed to um, height. But, obviously that leaves 20% that is environment at kind of a minimum. Um, And we know that that 20% can have a very strong influence, as I just said, you know, with all these things with diet and nutrition and health and this kind of stuff that they can have a big impact. So a lot of it is genetic and it's of the polygenic traits. It's one of the most heritable ones we know, but the environment, you know, still contributes quite a bit, um, which means that, you know, trying to predict height based on the genetics is difficult because of that.
0: Yeah. So, um, just getting into like right now in the current state of science, Mm -hmm. how reliably can genetics actually predict height? Like in terms, well, how reliably can you guys use genetics to predict height?
1: So the thing that we can't do is we can't say that an individual, you know, should be six feet tall. Um, we don't have the ability to give those kinds of precise kind of predictions, as I said, because of all these kind of complicated factors that go into it. Um, and it's very difficult for us to say like what exactly, in terms of a like a linear measurement, like what your genetic potential for height should be, we don't have that ability. What we can do is we look at the genetics relative to the population and so we can say that an individual is basically genetically predicted to be taller or shorter or kind of average compared to everybody else. Um, So you know, if, if you take a single individual looking at their polygenic score for height, which is one of the ways that we do this, is basically we, we take all of this. I said there's thousands of genes that contribute to height. So we kind of look at all of those genes and we summarize them in a number, which is called a polygenic score. And if you look at that polygenic score, you can't actually say anything about how tall that person or short that person really is. You have to look at it compared to you know, everybody else. And then you can say, you know, this person is comparatively they're, they have lots of tall genes. So we predict that they're gonna be taller and we kind of quantify it in like percentiles. So, you know, if you go to the doctor when you're a kid and they say things like, you know, you're above the 50th percentile, or, you know, you're in the the top 5% for your height. We do similar things with this, where we predict that people will be in a certain percentile. So we think that you're going to be, you know, the top 70 percent, or the bottom 10 percent, or the middle 50, or whatever it happens to be. So we do it that way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, we can't put like a a lit, like a a measurement number on it. You know, we can't say you're going to be five feet tall.
0: Yeah. So like. In theory, if I had given you like all the DNA for this theoretical population of every single individual, like right now, it could not be predicted the average height of that population. You could just be like they had this much variation within that population.
1: Right. We can look at their genetic variation. We can look at, you know, we can see kind of a distribution of people that have tall genetics and short genetics like in that population we can't actually tell you what the phenotype was. So we can't tell you what those people actually looked like, Um, which is part of why, you know, we've done the studies that we've done where we're comparing skeletal data with genetic data, because the only way that we can actually see how tall people really were is to look at the skeletal record. And so part of what we're trying to do is, you know, say if we have the skeletons, so we know what heights people actually achieved, and we have their DNA, how do those things match up? Do they match up? Can we then, you know, based on that, can we then use the genetics to say more about it or less about it? Um, You know, if we have a population where the genetics predicts that these people should all be really tall, but they're actually quite short, you know, that could mean two things. One could mean that we're predicting badly. You know, maybe our predictions are just, aren't working well for whatever reason. And then we have to look at that and see why that is the second option could be that there's something happening in this population that's preventing them from growing tall enough. So if they're, you know, is everybody very sick? Do they all have bad diets? Like what, you know, what's going on that is preventing them from achieving what their genetics say they should as kind of taller people or something, you know, something like this. Um,
0: yeah do you think that there will be a day where genetics will be able to take someone's DNA and be like you are five four genetically
1: you know i I don't know at this point, I remain slightly skeptical because I think you know I think our DNA maybe doesn't quite work that way to say that you know our our DNA doesn't say that you have a cap at six feet, you know mm-hmm. um it just kind of works and it works with the environment. So I think you can never separate those really because they're so dependent on each other, Um, you know and that's not to say maybe one day in the future somebody will figure out exactly how this works but at least right now with what we know I feel like these things are so kind of intertwined that separating them is extremely challenging and potentially not even super useful because you know, we don't live in a vacuum, we all live in an environment. So it's important to understand how the environment is affecting these things as well. Um, because that's all part of it. But you know, yeah. science is changing every day. And in a 100 years, maybe people will be able to say, you know, your genetics are five foot four. Yeah. Um, but you know, right now, I think that doesn't seem doesn't seem like something we're going to really be able to do um, at this point. But never say
0: never. Were Neanderthals of a similar height and could human DNA equations be used to approximate Neanderthal height or could the femur be used?
1: Yeah. So it's a bit of a difficult question. Um, We, so basically, obviously, you know, people are always really interested in Neanderthals, including anthropologists. So there's a lot of work that's been done on them. We don't obviously have nearly as many skeletal remains of Neanderthals as we do of humans. And most of the ones that we have are not very complete because they're so old. So, you know, we're limited on a lot of factors. There is really no totally complete Neanderthal skeleton. We have some that have a lot of components, but at least to my knowledge, there aren't any that have absolutely everything. also with that, you know, we people do try to reconstruct reconstruct Neanderthal statures based on human models. So we assume that they are similar enough to us that kind of the same principles apply. And so if you go based on those assumptions, which I mean, seem reasonable, they are very closely related to us, so I would expect that, you know, I'm sure there is some error involved, but at least within just kind of getting an impression of these things, it probably works well enough. Um, Neanderthals generally are thought to be shorter than modern humans. Um, and so when I say modern humans, what I mean is like anatomically modern. I don't mean necessarily people living today, but just what we call anatomically modern human, which is, you know, kind of our our whole human lineage lineage in the last hundred thousand years or so mm-hmm. um, they do seem to be shorter and broader so they're they're often described as being kind of stocky um but kind of short and wide yeah. as far as we can tell you know their rib cages are very broad um they're shaped a little bit differently than ours their legs are shorter their arms are shorter so we assume that means that generally they are shorter um again you know. We do, as I said, we use human equations and stuff to kind of predict these, and people have tried modeling it in different ways, and it basically always comes out to be that they're short compared to to us. so um, yeah, as I said, I think that's a a reasonable thing to say i don't i I don't think our equations probably work well for them, you know, but in terms of just getting an impression of what, you know. I guess the relationship of their height versus our height and things, you know, it's probably good enough, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't bet on the, on them being completely accurate, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so kind of talking about, you just talked about a little bit about Neanderthal body proportions were ancient human body proportions, like not just about height, but just about like anything else were those, were there any big differences when comparing those to modern humans?
1: Um, you know, no, (laughs) um, is the short answer. It's if you look at like, so I guess, you know, it varies from population to population and there are, you know, pattern human variation is patterned around the world. And this has to do with, you know, the climate and things that are in different, different places and just kind of the randomness of which genes end up in which places and whether or not they are able to you know rise in frequency you know these these questions of like genetic drift is what basically what it is um so it completely and totally depends on what part of the world you look at but that is also to say that you know when you say compared to like modern humans, what so in in anthropology, what we would normally say is actually compared to like contemporary humans. Mm -hmm. Because as I said, we call humans, at least in in an anthropological sense, modern human is basically any human in the last 100, sometimes 200,000 years. They're all considered to be modern. Because that isn't, you know, referenced to the last few million years of human evolution. Mm-hmm. So it's, we're all the same species, right? Um, things haven't, you know, changed that much in that sense. Like a, a human, a, what I would call contemporary human from today, is anatomically speaking and genetically speaking, you know, very similar to one that lived 50,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago. Obviously, we're not going to be completely identical because you know these evolutionary processes and adaptation and just drift and all of these things have, you know, been acting on us. But in the kind of broad scheme of these things, like, you know, we're the same as we've ever been. So, you know, these things change through time as like the genetics of a population change you know, as as one population comes in and mixes with the previous population, you know, they introduce new genes and then these things can change, like proportions can change. As the climate changes, there's some theories which haven't been well-proven, but also haven't really been disproven that there's a relationship between um, height and climate in humans, Um, you know, it, it might or might not be a thing, but if you were to assume that it is, then, you know, as climates and things change, you know, heights would then also be affected by that. Or if, say, a tall population moves into a different climate, you know, that could affect their height, assuming that the climate affects height. As I said, we're not quite sure if that's real or not. Um, so it's, you know... Yes, body proportions change, but not in a dramatic way, I guess, you know, just in kind of the normal kind of range of human variation, Mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask about pelvis size, but
1: I guess that's just a no. Yeah, the pelvis is is also interesting. Um, The pelvis is very complicated. Mm -hmm. And so you know if you're talking about kind of like birth complications and things in contemporary populations versus ancient ones we are starting to see a shift because of medical assistance Mm -hmm. but we so if you look at kind of non-industrialized societies um either you know especially in the past if we look you know, kind of in the early 20th century when people started keeping records of these things and, you know, there was not medical care as we understand it now, Um, or at least Western, you know, kind of Western medicine type, you know, hospitals and obstetricians and all these kinds of things, Um, you know, mortality in childbirth for women is about 20%. Yeah. So it's really high and it's a lot. Um, we've seen that come down dramatically in more recent times, but it's really because of medicine and of C-sections and these kinds of things. So that women who, you know, would not have been able to deliver a baby now, you know, you can have surgery to do this instead. Um, which then, you know, means that those kinds of constraints that used to be on like pelvic dimensions are lessened. Um, and you know we do see an increase in in kind of medical interventions in childbirth um, through time like in the last even 20-30 years and you know there's arguments about whether or not that's because of this kind of medical intervention that means you know smaller pelvis now you know are 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 fine Women that would have died before. So basically, you know, if they had died, you would have removed the genes for the small pelvis mm-hmm. now or not. So they're passing on their small pelvis to their daughters. Um, so the you know, so there's controversy about whether or not that is causing it, or whether or not we're just recognizing these complications more than we used to be. So there's a rise in kind of recording them, but maybe it's the same. I mean, people debate these things, um, but the pelvis is actually. It's one of the the things that I predict, I I worked on it um, a lot and I, it's it's a really kind of interesting bit of the skeleton and it's, but it's quite complicated. Um, And whether or not that's changed, you know, it's hard to say, the jury's out, but there's a lot of variation in the pelvis also, like everything else.
0: Yeah. That's something, another thing that's probably contributed from a lot of factors you kind of touched on at the beginning, but something that mm-hmm. I've heard a lot is that people are getting taller with every generation right now, especially in the last like 100 years. Yes. And is not like purely environmental. Is there any chance that genetics is driving that trend at all?
1: You know, it's, so it's, it's a phenomenon that's known as the secular trend and it, we see it in a lot of things. So in height, um, particularly is the easiest one. but there's other traits that also have these, this secular trend. And it seems like it's not genetic. and it's hard to to come up with a good genetic explanation at least with our current understanding of it. Um, but it seems to be in populations, even where you know, where the genetics have not changed, you know, there's not been any incoming, you know, migrant groups or like people that are not, you know, admixed, they're, you know, been living in the same place as their ancestors for, you know, generations. But we still see this trend of, of their height increasing. Um, we don't know what causes the secular trend. Mm-hmm. It's something that a lot of people are interested in and a lot of people study, and there's a lot of theories about it and why it happens, you know, better medical care, better health, better nutrition. But, you know, we also see it in lower socioeconomic classes and people that might not have access to these things as readily, you know, we still see this trend happening. And if you, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to make an explanation that covers all of the possibilities, um, but it, you know, it's real and it's there. So why? It's a little bit hard to say, but it. Um, You know, it does seem to be like, it's probably environmental because as I said, there's no obvious reason for the genetics to have changed. Um, And again, just kind of shows how strongly environment can influence these things, but we do see it plateauing. So like in Europe, for example, where heights have been increasing basically since World War II, but even a little bit before, you know, every generation has been getting taller um, but in the last kind of 10 years or so, they seem to have kind of reached a cap, like, you know, you can only get so tall. Yeah. So the line is kind of flattened out. Um, and it seems like that trend is, is maybe done, but, you know, in other countries that, um, as they industrialize and things are, are still continuing on this upward trend. And in some, some cultures it's very dramatic because people used to be very small, um, and are now know starting to be very tall because of this. Um, so you know we're seeing these things change and as I said we don't we don't have a great explanation for it except that you know it's happening. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well thank you so much for
0: answering all my questions. Um everything no problem. hope you have a great time and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks. So the trend of humans getting taller is actually a pretty new thing and height has fluctuated over time, which is good news for our ancestors, some of whom may have been well above today's average height. It is also important not to put them in a box, because just like today, there is variation within and between populations when it comes to height. Height and body proportions are affected by genetics, nutrition intake, history of illness, and much more. Many of those factors are being affected by modern technology and medicine, meaning the patterns of variations among humans could begin to change in new ways. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deep, and thank you so much to Dr. Cox for taking the time to talk with me. Next episode, we dive further into the world of genetics and biological anthropology when I sit down with Rachel Dickerson to discuss her work with genetics and oral histories in Polynesia.